Have you ever known a person that seemed to have a conspiracy theory about almost everything? Every little thing that happens, they jump to the conclusion that some government plot or sinister group is responsible. But what if it turns out that some of these theories are true? What if there really was a conspiracy or a major cover-up to avoid taking responsibility for their bad deeds? And while I have never been a person to believe all the conspiracy theories, sometimes it's quite obvious we have been misled about the potential benefits or even harmful attributes of a particular product simply for the financial benefit of someone else. So if you want to learn more and find out about how being informed helps you to be more sustainable, then listen to episode 115, which is called Consumer Beware. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 115, which is called Consumer Beware. Now, right out of the gate, I want to emphasize that I am simply not a conspiracy kind of guy. And that is not what I'm really attempting to promote here. But what I do want to accomplish in this episode is to simply give you a few examples of times when we as consumers have been completely misled by big business and maybe even the government. And the sole underlying reason for this is often financial gain. And the end result is wastefulness, harm to the environment, as well as physical harm to consumers. But you can actually protect yourself by being informed. And in the end, each step you take to protect yourself also makes your lifestyle more sustainable. But I want to start out by telling you a little story about my new neighbor because it makes a point, albeit solely for the purpose of entertainment. After 25 years of living on the homestead, the 40-acre lot next to me finally sold, and after all this time of us living on the mountain completely alone, the 40-acre lot next to me actually has someone living on it full-time. This guy moved on to the property about two years ago, and his cabin is about 300 yards through the trees, and he is generally a very quiet guy. And most of the time, he rarely makes a sound, and I start wondering if he is even there at all. But the main thing that I can say about my new neighbor is that he's definitely a little bit of a different kind of guy, and he's definitely a conspiracy theorist. He feels as if the government is always watching him. He thinks 
The government is seeding the atmosphere with things that invade our bodies and will eventually control our minds. And he also thinks the birds are government spies. And in fact, Annette and I were joking about this just the other day because we have these gray birds that hang around the cabin all the time because we toss food scraps off the deck and they are always scrounging. Now, I don't really know what these birds are called. I just call them gray jays, but people commonly refer to them as camp robbers because they're actually quite brazen. So anyway, they're always hanging around and always watching for the next opportunity for a free meal. And anyway, we always jokingly say, the birds are watching us again. But anyway, all joking aside, I think there are obvious examples of how big business and even the government has tried to either cover up things or fed misinformation to the public simply because billions of dollars are at stake. Now, my best example, of course, is the subject of climate change. The first seminal paper on the possibility of climate change was published in 1896. And by 1938, increases in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was connected to global warming. And here we are, 127 years later, and people are finally paying attention. And yet, there is still an enormous organized movement of climate change denial. And what we repeatedly see is large corporations pursuing private gain and hiding information from the public. And in order for this to be successful, these big businesses, of course, coordinate public relations campaigns focused on propping up their own experts that deny their industry has contributed to harming public health. And furthermore, quite often big business has deep political connections with elected officials who stand to financially gain from protecting the corporation. It also doesn't help that there are hundreds of elected officials in our 139th Congress that still deny the established scientific consensus that the Earth is warming. And I came across an astonishing study the other day, a study that was published in 2022 and found that four major oil companies, Chevron, ExxonMobil, British Petroleum, and Shell, often used terms such as climate, low carbon, and transition in their annual reports and often devise strategies around decarbonization. And what this means is that their actions on clean energy, where mostly pledges in these companies still focus on fossil fuels as their primary source of revenue. And in particular, ExxonMobil climate scientist predicted with astonishing accuracy the climate change that would result from the use of their product. And meanwhile, the company spent enormous sums of money denying the science of climate change, and Exxon knew for years that the threat of human-caused global warming, yet they orchestrated lobbying and propaganda campaigns 
to delay climate action. And they were actually paying people to put out misinformation. Now, you would think that with all of the attention focused on climate change and green energy, that people would start to pay attention and change their ways. But unfortunately, this is not really true. There's some big influencers in the propane industry that are now spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to promote propane and to oppose electrification. And in fact, the Propane Education and Research Council, known as PERC, recently spent $900,000 to support an anti-electrification campaign in New York. And what most people do not know is that PERC is a federally sanctioned trade organization and is a non-profit. So they are allowed to levy fees on the sale of propane and that money is supposed to be used to inform and educate the public about safety and other issues associated with the use of propane. However, they are actually using those funds to promote their pro-fossil fuel agenda and saying that propane is a clean burner and that it actually cleans up the environment. When actually what is true is that propane, just like any other fossil fuel, emits CO2 when it is burned. And of course, climate advocates are campaigning on the other side of the fence to electrify buildings instead of powering them on gas and oil. So obviously this is going to be an ongoing battle for quite some time. So I know that at the end of the day that climate change and global warming is so much in the forefront of our thoughts and also in the media. So, but let's take a look at another couple examples of major industry cover-ups that were significantly harmful to the consumer. Let's look at the case of the Ford Pinto, which is quite an infamous case. So this car was introduced in 1971. And while the car was still in the developmental phase, it was discovered that there were some serious design flaws. The Ford company discovered that low-speed rear-end crashes would cause the fuel tank's filler neck to tear away and spill gasoline under the vehicle. And additionally, the fuel tank was easily punctured by bolts protruding from the differential as well as some other brackets. It would have cost the Ford company $11 per car to fix the problem. However, the company buried the problem and decided it would cost less to pay off Pinto owners whose cars caught on fire. The Ford company had actually calculated it would save them $70 million to settle claims with burn victims as opposed to actually fixing the problem. And eventually, the Pinto ended up being a public relations disaster for Ford, and the car was taken off the market. Another great example of an industry cover-up is that of cigarettes. For decades, the tobacco industry covered up the health risk associated with smoking cigarettes. 
And this cover-up actually started after the a publication of a landmark study that was put out in 1950 in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And this study was published by Dr. Ernest Winder, who was a physician and epidemiologist, and the study plainly linked cigarette smoking to lung cancer. So in response to this, six major cigarette manufacturers launched a study of their own simply as a means of confusing the public. And in 1954, the Council of Tobacco Research ran full-page ads in 400 newspapers stating that eminent doctors and researchers question the significance of the claims regarding the dangers of smoking cigarettes. And meanwhile, the underlying truth was that tobacco industry scientists already recognized the link between smoking and lung cancer. And in fact, in 1972, an industry memo detailed a strategy to create doubt about the adverse health claims without actually denying it. And eventually, the attorney generals from 46 states filed an enormous lawsuit against the industry. And in 1998, the tobacco companies actually agreed to an annual payout of $10 billion indefinitely to compensate for the healthcare costs associated with the damage that they had done. And now the next great example I have is the thalidomide tragedy. Now thalidomide was developed by a Swiss pharmaceutical company in the 1950s. And during early testing, researchers noted that it was nearly impossible to give animals a lethal dose. And based on that basic testing, the drug was considered to be non-toxic to humans. And it was initially marketed as a sedative and sleep aid that could be used without the risk of developing chemical dependency. And following the release of the drug, it was noted to have anti-emetic effects. And consequently, it became a popular remedy with pregnant women to alleviate morning sickness. And the widespread use was aided by the fact that it was very inexpensive and could be obtained without a prescription. But unfortunately, the drug was not rigorously tested for potential teratogenic effects. And it took nearly five years to make the connection between thalidomide and birth defects. And after the widespread use in Australia, Japan, and Europe, physicians finally started making the connection between birth defects and the use of thalidomide. But it was estimated that 10,000 children were affected and nearly half of those children died within months of being born. And although this is truly a tragedy, it did mark a turning point in toxicity testing for new medications. And in fact, the United States and international regulatory agencies soon developed systematic testing protocols. But it's also interesting to note that thalidomide is still in use today as a treatment for certain types of cancer and inflammatory diseases. And it is also used as a treatment 
for leprosy. And in countries that lack strict monitoring protocols, birth defects are still commonly seen. Now, while these are some obvious examples of industry oversights and plain and simple cover-ups, and it's certainly easy to pass judgment on big business and big pharma for their bad behavior, but there are plenty of other products that we use every day without giving any thought to those products actually being harmful. There are dozens of personal care products that we have in our lives and use daily and have you even considered that these products may contain chemicals that are harmful to your health? Things such as hair dye, perfume, and cologne, shaving cream, shampoo, deodorant, and makeup. Did you know that personal care products, they are actually regulated by the FDA, but they are not treated as drugs. These products can go on the market prior to FDA approval and toxic and allergenic ingredients do not have to be listed on the labels. And some of these products contain known carcinogens. And obviously people will go to great lengths to be beautiful and cosmetic companies know this. But there are numerous examples of permanent disfigurement and even death after using products that have been on the market for decades. And one other thing to think about is the plastic containers that we use almost every day. So despite the widespread use, the ease and convenience, not to mention inexpensive plastic food containers are not all they're cracked up to be. But you know what most of us never even think about is how that plastic is manufactured and what chemicals go into it that can potentially leach into our food. And consequently, these plastic containers we so often use for food storage may not actually be safe. Yet we use them every day. We store food in the refrigerator. We use plastic lunch boxes. We use plastic water bottles. But apparently, it is not common knowledge that all plastics are not created equal. So I would encourage you to take the time to go through your cabinets and look at all the plastic containers that you have. Those with the label recycling number of number one, three, six, and seven may contain BPA or PVC, which can leach into your food. Those containers that are labeled with the recycling numbers two, four, and five are generally considered safe. However, because it is almost impossible to guarantee the quality of any plastic, some people choose to stay away from plastic containers altogether. And in fact, this is what we are in the process of doing. I'm replacing things with glass and stainless steel just because I consider it safer and I'm limiting the use of the plastic containers that I presently have. But even with high quality plastics, there are two things that you should never do. You should never reheat food in a plastic container, even if it is considered high quality or even if it is labeled as being microwave safe. 
because when plastic is heated, it releases chemicals that leach into the food and it actually causes genetic alterations to the food. It is not even advisable to store hot or cooked food in a plastic container, but it is considered safe to store cool or cold food as well as dry goods. The second thing you should never do is place plastic containers in hot water because warming the plastic or, or washing the plastic in hot water causes the same reaction as heating because the same types of chemicals are released from the plastic. So going forward from here, just simply use the plastic containers you presently have to store dry goods. And if you want to use them to store cooked food, then line them with something to avoid contact with the plastic. However, like me, if you really want to play it safe, use glass and stainless steel for food storage instead. Now, besides the plastics that are commonly in our households, I think another category to think about and that is often overlooked is the household chemicals that we use. Because every year we spend millions of dollars on household cleaning products and most of them are actually dangerously toxic. Now, I really just want to run through a few of the more obvious examples here. But antifreeze is a very common example and ingestion of antifreeze can actually damage the heart, brain, kidneys, as well as other internal organs. And at least working as a veterinarian and working in emergency medicine, I've seen plenty of disasters related to antifreeze ingestion. Household bleach is also strongly corrosive. Ingestion can cause damage to the lungs, vomiting, and even coma. Drain cleaners often contain lye and other chemicals known to cause burns to the skin and eyes and even blindness. Carpet and upholstery cleaners contain naphthalene which is known to cause cataract formation and liver damage after long exposure. Ammonia fumes are highly irritating to the eyes, nose, throat, and lungs, and people with asthma or heart and lung conditions should avoid ammonia altogether. And additionally, mixing ammonia with chlorine products produces an extremely toxic gas that can be fatal. And even the air fresheners that we so commonly use actually contain formaldehyde, which is strongly carcinogenic. And now there are more than 40,000 chemicals used on a wide range of consumer products in the United States. And at least according to the Environmental Protection Agency, less than 1% of those chemicals have been tested for human safety. It's almost unnerving to think that synthetic chemicals are in almost everything we touch and almost everything that we consume. And it's completely impossible to have some working knowledge of all these chemicals, but it's far better, of course, just to avoid them whenever possible. And of all of the things that we come in contact with, I think the subject of pesticides is sort of my personal little soapbox. 
Because according to the EPA, there are actually accept acceptable levels, and I love that term, acceptable levels of pesticides in the foods that we eat. Because pesticide residues are found in as much as 70% of the produce that we consume. But at least according to the Environmental Protection Agency, their actions and regulations have led to safer, less toxic pesticides and reduced toxicity. But that being said, pesticides have been directly linked to a long list of health problems. And I often wonder what would happen if all of the products that contained acceptable levels of pesticides were required to be labeled with a warning that said this product contains acceptable levels of chemicals that have been directly linked to Parkinson's disease, asthma, macular degeneration, diabetes, prostate, lung, thyroid, and bone cancer. I wonder, and I often wonder, how that would affect consumer purchasing. Because now, you know, it's unlikely, it is likely impossible to completely eliminate your exposure to pesticides because of their widespread use, but you can limit your exposure by scrubbing and washing your produce, peeling fresh produce if possible, buy organic whenever you can, and simply eat a variety of produce to avoid high exposure to any single pesticide. Now, another group of chemicals that we are commonly exposed to is called phthalates. These chemicals are widely used and almost impossible to avoid because they're used to make plastic more flexible and more difficult to break. They're also used as a binding agent. Phthalates are widely used in insect repellents, shampoo, perfume, nail polish, vinyl flooring, mini blinds, wallpaper, raincoats, medical equipment and devices, plastic pipes, plastic film for covering food, food packaging, pharmaceuticals, and detergents. And exposure to these chemicals is very widespread and it has been shown to be present in the majority of the population. Phthalates are known to be an endocrine disrupting chemical and can alter hormonal balance and cause reproductive disorders. But despite their widespread use, it is possible to reduce your exposure by avoiding plastic food containers. Use glass instead and of course, once again, never reheat food in a plastic container. And if you must use plastic, then labels, those that are labeled with recycling codes 1, 2, 4, and 5 are your best choices. And now one other group of chemicals that is worthy of note is the bisphenols. This is a group of 40 or so chemicals used again in the manufacture of plastic, epoxy resins, and many other products and it's actually been in use since the 1960s. And the common one that you have most likely heard of is bisphenol A, also known 
as BPA. And it is one of the most widely used chemicals today. And these chemicals are yet another endocrine disruptor. And according to the Environmental Protection Agency, BPA is a reproductive, developmental, and systemic toxin in animal studies. And this group of chemicals is found in food and beverage can liners, food packaging, DVDs, medical equipment, toys, automotive parts, water bottles, and many others. Many plastic products that are labeled as being BPA-free often contain chemicals with similar effects. But our principal source of exposure to this class of chemicals is typically through food and drink. And you can reduce your exposure by cutting back on the amount of canned food that you consume. And if that's not possible, then rinse the food with water. And once again, don't microwave food in plastic and avoid plastics with the recycling codes three and seven on the bottom and choose BPA-free water bottles. So once again, I think this is a very good case for something that I do so commonly, and that is canning my own food. Now, as I have stated before, I'm really truly not a conspiracy kind of guy. I don't walk around thinking that the birds are government spies, that someone's always watching me, my phone is tapped and I'm being tracked all the time. But however, history is filled with real life examples of true conspiracies and major industry and government cover-ups because the tobacco industry spent decades denying and clouding the health risk associated with cigarette smoking. The Ford company knew very well there were major design problems with the Pinto and yet they covered it up. It took the Russian government an astonishing three weeks after the Chernobyl accident to admit that there was a problem. The Catholic Church spent decades covering up the crimes of their clergy. The United States Public Health Service spent decades running medical experiments on men with syphilis, all while denying them proper treatment. We have known about the possibility of climate change for 127 years, yet a considerable amount of our politicians still deny the science behind it and continue to delay the transition to renewables. And now the propane industry says their particular fossil fuel actually cleans up the environment. And what about the chemicals that are used in the manufacture of plastics? How long has the industry known of the potential harmful effects of these chemicals? And it is unlikely that there will be changes in the near future because it will cost too much money. And how long will it be before the agricultural industry promotes and uses natural and organic pesticides that are not harmful to the environment and that are not linked to a long list of health problems in humans. And this is yet another thing that will not change in the near future as we so we have to take action to protect ourselves as much as possible. And you know, 
going over all this information, it reminds me of something that I was thinking about just the other day, that every time I purchase a product, especially purchasing something online, I am repeatedly asked to write a review. And I keep thinking to myself that I truly do not have the time to do a critical review of every single thing that I purchase. I think to myself, who, who does? Who has that kind of time? But now I'm starting to think that maybe that's exactly what we have to do in order to not only protect our health and well-being, but also guarantee a transition to a more sustainable future. And during this transition, we undoubtedly have to think in terms of consumer beware. Because after all, we, we live in the age of information. We have access to hundreds of years of information in a matter of seconds. And in this day and age of technology, ignorance is really truly a choice. And you know, I have absolutely no doubt that as our world makes a transition to green energy, as we dramatically reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, as we transition to a circular economy, as buildings and businesses move toward widespread electrification, as we eliminate single-use products, as we transition to a more local economy instead of globalization, there is going to be a lot of smoke blown in our faces by big business and government that are dead set on protecting their financial interests for as long as possible. And that is exactly why we have to inform ourselves and keep this attitude of consumer beware. Because after all, ExxonMobil has known for decades about the harmful environmental effects of fossil fuels and they clouded the issue and look at where we are now. So I do remember well when I was a kid growing up on the farm, life seemed pretty darn simple. We were self-sufficient in many ways and I have very little memory of eating store-bought meat when I was a kid. And we did not really travel much because everything we needed was local. But maybe in today's world, that's not possible. As much as I try to have a simple life, it still seems to me that life is far more complicated than it really needs to be. It seems we have to be on constant alert if we want to protect our health and well-being, and it is not as if the whole world is conspiring against us, but there are lots of things we are never even told about concerning the products that we use every day. But at least here I have given you a few common areas in your life that you can evaluate very, very carefully. And the thing of it is, is that if you stay informed and truly try to protect your health and well-being, this effort will actually make your life more sustainable. Because I do find it interesting that I find example after example of how living a simple, sustainable life is not only healthier, but safer, less expensive, and also results in more financial freedom and happiness. And additionally, I always come back to the same thing 
that I think about so often. That if we all stay informed and make better decisions, it is the cumulative effect and power of our individual action that will change the world. And if we wait for big business and government to get out of their never-ending board meeting and make a decision to change the world, it is the people like you and I that will suffer the consequences. So start making the needed changes in your life to be more sustainable and take that first step to protect your health and well-being. Now, in closing, folks, I, I want to remind you, remind everyone that I often have a whole list of references in the transcript for each episode if you want to do some further reading, and if nothing else, it should give you even further motivation to make some needed changes. And of course, don't forget to take the time to leave me with a review, and please subscribe to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast as well as my companion blog, Off-Grid Living News. And before I go, I want to leave you with one last thought. As you are working to make some positive changes in your life and trying to avoid all the background noise in the world that is so distracting, just remember to focus on designing a lifestyle that supports and nurtures who you are, and what you value. Well, folks, I think that's about it for this week. And I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to join me again next week. And until then, this is your host, Patrick, signing off. Always remember to live sustainably, because this is how we build a better future.